Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 183. Thank you for joining us. Today, Bonnie and I have the great pleasure of being joined by co-founder of the Catherine of Siena Institute, Sherry Waddell, to discuss charisms. Sherry explains to us how God gives us graces to be given to others, and we discuss what these are, how we can discern them, and how this discernment can help us to become the people that God made us to be. I've been listening to Sherry and reading her books for years, so it was fantastic to finally speak with her and be able to share our conversation with you. We hope that you'll enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, Colby homeschooling mom of four lads and lasses, liturgical musician, popcorn, and podcast fanatic. And this is Stephen, homeschooling father of five, and Director of Development for Colby Academy. Hi, Stephen. What's a good word? Well, I realize I should be writing these down because I think I might duplicate them at some point, but I just wanted to go with Providence today. All right. I've started writing them. You can you can let me know if, I, if I'm repeating myself then. The question is, can I find them in my notes going backwards? because they tend to be all over the place. It's our great honor to have a conversation today with Sherry Waddell, co-founder and executive director of the Catherine of Siena Institute. Sherry, welcome to the Colby cast. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. We're very excited and, and glad this worked out to visit with you today. I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with you and your work. For those who are not yet, would you tell us about yourself and your background? Well, I am... Um... I was the co-founder. Basically, the Catherine Sand Institute, we work with parishes and dioceses all over the U.S. and now all over the world, uh, really working to form lay apostles, basically. But to do that means we do work with a lot of clergy, with a lot of dioceses, with bishops, with lay leaders, with religious communities, with apostolates as well as parishes. We, you know, we started out working primarily with parishes, ordinary Catholics and ordinary parishes, nothing special, just regular people. Um, and it kind of grew from there. So uh, we're known, uh, we're gonna be talking about charism and discernment, which is always, I always like to say, that's like the most fun you can have legally. So I love talking about it, but, um, but you know, the, but there's a lot of other things we do. We're, we're, do a lot of work in evangelization and forming, helping people, parishes and dioceses make disciples and become missionary, you know, basically go out and evangelize both Catholics and those who are not Catholic and who maybe don't believe in anything, you know, really going out there. And, uh, and we do, so we do a lot of formation in those areas as well. And we specialize in the theology, of the laity, the history of the laity, the Catholic laity, um, the history of missions and evangelization in the church. We do a lot of different stuff. Okay, Sherry, charisms, from what I have to do so far, they are a way for us to, each of us, live out our baptismal callings. But to start with a definition, Sherry, what are charisms? Okay, charisms in the church's understanding are what St. Thomas called gratuitous graces, meaning they are, they're different from the sanctifying graces that you and I receive in the sacraments. Okay. For instance, they are, these are the kind of gifts that are given for us to give away. Sanctifying graces are for us to keep. The charisms are for us to give away. They are ways that God's 
beauty and healing and provision and mercy and love and, you know, pass through us with our cooperation and reach somebody else. So there are ways that we become channels of God's grace, a very specific kind of grace for others. So they're, they're always meant to be given away. And that's the first issue in discernment always is, was that experience for me or was that for somebody else that we have to deal with, have, help people deal with that all the time. But it's, this is really for others. So they're, they're different than just experiences. Maybe I receive guidance from the Holy Spirit for certain things in my life, which is wonderful and, you know, entirely possible and valuable, but it isn't the same as a charism. And so charisms just, we always have to say, it doesn't end with you. It has to be given away. And one of the classic signs of a charism is that you will be restless unless you can give it away. I mean, it almost seeks out the person for whom it is intended. And you just, I mean, you can refuse. And I've, we've met because we've worked with it. Well, well over 140,000 Catholics have gone through this process now all over the world. So, um, yeah, so we've and we've had all these one on one conversations with them. So with many tens of thousands of Catholics about their experience being used by God and everything. And so we've heard a lot of people, sometimes they're uncomfortable. Something begins to emerge in their life. And they don't know what it is and it doesn't, I don't know, just the very thought of it maybe makes them uncomfortable They or they, they feel like they're unworthy. A lot of people feel unworthy for this sort of thing, but it, in a, in a sense, it's not about you. Um, you know, and I, I don't mean that to be snotty or anything, but it's just, it isn't about us. It's about what God wants to do for that other person through you. Now there's all kinds of ramifications for you personally. I mean, we now we we have a whole called and gifted discernment process that we take people through, but it's a process that you that you go. It's actually a discernment process, and we teach you how how they how they show up in your life. What are the triggers that help them show up? How you recognize them? How you discern them? We set you up to go through a discernment process, and then ideally we connect you with people whom we have trained to listen to your stories of being used by God and hear the patterns in your life that may indicate the presence of a charism. And I, I can go into all that later, but it's just, the whole point is, it's a, it's a journey. It's a process. So it's not, uh, it's not like you go to a one day workshop and you come away and you know, all your charisms, because that's not how this works. The church is really clear we are called to discern. It's true. The church formally teaches that every baptized person receives at least one charism. All of us are responsible to discern them and to exercise them for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the church. Um, and in fact, it also teaches that priests, it is part of their priestly office to help us recognize and discern and answer the call that comes with the charism. But most of us don't know that. We always tell people that yeah, it's there. Yeah. I think I first ran across your, the called and gifted program while I was uh, an administrator at a, at a different school. Um, but I was, I was, I'd always been interested in, in different tests and things to help people kind of determine what their strengths are and try to help them utilize that and, and kind of discern what their calling is by God to, to how, what he's calling them to do in the world. And one of my, my lovely people that worked with me introduced me to the called and gifted program. At that point, it was CDs and a booklet that I was, was looking through. Yeah. But uh, 
but that, I fell in love with the idea immediately because I thought, wait, God is has made people to to be this channel of 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 grace and the Holy Spirit, and okay, well, let's help people to find what those might be too, or at least introduce them to this possibility to discern so that they can make decisions in their life about maybe what's the best way to to be an instrument of God's. Oh yeah. Well, there's huge ramifications for this whole, for the discernment issue. I mean, these gifts are, they're basically clues as to what your vocations in life are. They are supernaturally empowered tools for you to live those vocations, to be an instrument of, um, you know, God's love and mercy and beauty and truth and provision for others. Um, all the charisms, no matter what they are, and there's a, we, we deal with 23 of the most common charisms. Okay. But there's more than that. And we know that and we make it clear, but they're exhausted. There's too many to really number and we can't go into all of those, but we pick 23, of the most common. But the thing is all the charisms, no matter what they are, have two things that, that are true of them. They're all evangelizing in their own right. And they're all healing in their own right in different ways. Okay. But because all of them, they are all um, channels of Christ's redemptive work, of his mercy, of his love. And of course, where he is present and where his love is present, healing occurs and people are drawn to him, you know? So yes, there's a charisma of evangelism, but then there's the other 22, all of which have their crucial role in evangelism. And there's a charisma of healing, but then there's the other 22 that all have ways in which they are part of the larger healing ministry of the church and of you know the purposes of God. So um but that's part of the the power of this. Um typically there's there's maybe maybe I'll start with this. Um there are three basic signs. Now normally when you come into a workshop these days we it's all available online. You can stream it. It's available in English and Spanish. Okay. The whole process. And so you could you know, after you could listen to this podcast and then go to our website and sign up and go go through online on in video form um, the initial workshop. But there's three parts. There's an initial workshop during which you take the Catholic Spiritual Gifts inventory. Now, it's very important. Taking the inventory is not discernment. As I know you've probably heard me say if you listen to those poor tapes from long ago. But I love um, them. But it is true. And many people, they so desperately want to be able to take some kind of test, they would call it. And I even had one guy who came up to me and said, okay, I want to put your inventory on an app. We'll just have it on a phone. We'll cut it to 15 questions. And then bingo, people know their charisms. And I'm like, no. What we, well, the truth is after people take their inventory, what I always used to say was, and now I have to tell you that your scores are bogus. And everybody looks at me in horror. And what do you mean? And I'm like, here's how it works. Taking an inventory is not discernment. This is just a quick and dirty way to sort through your life experience to this point. And we've got everybody from 18 to 80. So it varies all over the map. And, you know, and see what evidence there is, the patterns in your life that may indicate the presence of a charism. Um, you know, and so the inventory is just a beginning place. It's a very rough beginning place. Those are just rough, undiscerned scores. 
And so we get away from those as fast as we can once they've taken it. We just, the goal was just to identify, isolate those areas that might be the best place to begin discerning. That's what we're doing. And then the rest of the workshop is all about recognizing the different charisms and how they're used in your life. We tell all these stories. We tell saint stories. We tell stories of contemporary people who exercise these gifts um, and the impact they have. And we're just, what we're trying to give you what you need to begin your own discernment process. That's why. So that's the initial workshop. And that sets you up ideally to have a one-on-one conversation, like an hour conversation with one of the people that we formed, our interviewers, um, to listen to your stories. And we'll just start with those six highest scores on your inventory. And we'll say, tell me a story. You You got a high score in hospitality. Okay. You know, tell me, think of an instance where you think you were using that gift and tell me what you did step by step and who was there and who are you working with and what did you do and what kind of feedback, et cetera. And so we just spend most of our time listening to people tell their stories and the patterns. That's where a lot of distinguishing goes on because sometimes the high scores were just the result of life experience or skills, natural talents we have, skills we've picked up, things we're forced to do at work, you know, um, that sort of thing, but it isn't really a charism. And uh, and then uh, basically we help you pick a gift, one gift to actually explore or discern for a minimum of two hours a week for at least, at least six to eight weeks or more, because you have to do it. This is Nike country and you just got to do it. You can't dream about these things. You can't fantasize about them. You got to do it and see what God actually does because this is real. Okay. And so, and this third part is where you would be picking your charism and basically going out and experimenting at least two hours a week. Um, And then ideally meeting in small groups with other people who are discerning. So you can all talk over your experiences and share what happened and what didn't happen. And what, you know, you go, well, I don't know. This is what I did. And this is what happened. This is what kind of feedback I seem to get. And I don't know what that means. That's fine. You talk and then you go out and you experiment some more for a couple of weeks and you come back and you talk and you experiment and you talk. And it's about two to four weeks into that last process that the light really begins to dawn for a lot of people. A lot of people had these, these patterns are already present in their life, but they didn't have language for it. They didn't recognize the significance of things that were going on. And I will add, and this is for the women who might be listening to the podcast. Women especially are prone as a group, changes individual from individual, but as a group, we tend to, um, how should I say, to filter out evidence of exceptional or unusual giftedness because we're afraid it's going to damage relationships in our lives. And so a lot of met a lot of classic story. I had a woman uh, who, who came, I came in to do her interview and she just looked at me, she says, well, I don't have any charisms. Well, I mean, I've only had like several hundred people tell me that. So the truth is I'll say, Oh really? How interesting. Can I just look at your inventory results, please? You know, we, We'll just go right on. Um, and uh, I looked at her results and she had a couple of high scores in the area of hospitality. And I thought, well, let's see what's there. I said, you know, why did you answer those questions the way you did? You know, that's the area of hospitality. And I was just interested in you, how you answered it. She says, well, I have no idea. She goes, maybe, maybe I had a stroke while I was taking this thing. I don't know. I'm, I'm like, you know, 
Uh, and she thought and she thought, and then finally she said, well, you know, there was that refugee family who needed a place to stay about 13 years ago. And, and they came and stayed with us. And I thought, okay, okay, that's hopeful. Something's going on here. And of course, uh, the funny thing was, and then she told me, well, they were still living with her 13 years later. And I'm, I'm like, oh, honey, do you think that's normal? Yes, to somebody who has a charism, it feels normal. And they won't think of it as very special at all. They'll think, well, of course, anybody would do that. Um, but her family, and I'm sure and her friends are all looking at her going, you know, and she told story after story. And she had a whopping charism of hospitality, obviously at operating right in front of her that she had for had filtered out. She had just not, wouldn't let that information in. We have to give people permission to do that a lot of times. Uh, Catholics know two things. They know they're supposed to be, have faith and they're supposed to be humble. And as one 84-year-old Scotsman told me once, he said, I couldn't have charisms because it wouldn't be humble. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So so they, what we do is we just won't take in positive feedback. We won't take in our clues because it just makes us feel like we're pretending to be special or better than or a saint or something weird. And so I don't want to be that. So I'm not going to pay attention to that stuff. So part of it is to give people permission to do that and support them. That's teaching them how to do that and how to listen to what was already probably happening in front of them all the time anyway. Um, but uh, let's, again, the whole point of this, what's really important, and this is crucial, it's so tied to evangelization. Charisms come out of your lived relationship with God, which is why we, in the new version of the workshop, we've changed the beginning. And so in the video version now, we start with the fact that charisms are gifts given to disciples who are called to a mission. And so they come right out of your lived relationship with God. And the question is, where are you in your lived relationship with God? Because it isn't enough just to be Catholic or to have been raised Catholic or baptized Catholic, or even just attend mass. Um, people do all those things without having what they, I mean, a lot of people have told us because we've listened to so many people, you know, that basically God is a distant figure who doesn't really care about them, doesn't care about their children, doesn't, you know, I mean, it's fascinating. Or Jesus isn't God. I mean, the number of things we've been told all over from people who are very engaged in the church. So it is really stunning. But typically these gifts, which are given to us in baptism, they come with the Holy Spirit in baptism. Um, so they're there, but they don't manifest. They don't break ground like, you know, seeds in springtime germinating and breaking ground. They don't do that until it's spiritual springtime. Um, you know, here in Colorado, it's, everything's about to go dead. I mean, it looks dead. My sister keeps saying it's all dead. The grass is all dead. I said, no, it's sleeping. You don't understand. It's hibernating. She doesn't believe that. She thinks it's dead, but it isn't. It's just waiting for spiritual springtime to come back. And a lot of our lives, no matter what our age is, and we may be very mature adults in other areas of our lives, but our charisms might be sort of sleeping like seeds underground in winter in Colorado, which I tell you, I mean, it looks dead. But when we start to enter into that personal relationship with Christ and we start to respond to his grace, when we start to begin the journey of following him, that's what people tell us. They'll say, you know, like, like 
three years ago, I went through that retreat or I had this experience or something happened, some tragedy or challenge happened in their life. And, and they went through this massive spiritual awakening. And then they said, and then this thing showed up. What is this thing? I say, tell me a story. And it's fascinating. You often hear it's a charism emerging in their lives. So it's typically after that point, when your faith becomes personal, whenever that happens for you and however that happens for you, when it's not just an inherited thing, it's not just a cultural thing, it's a relationship with God and you're seeking however early to, to know God, to love God, to somehow respond to God and, and follow him. That After that point is when maybe, you know, not the next day, but could be a year or two or whatever, these things start to manifest. And, you know, and that's when we hear these stories that comes first. And so we've had many, I had hundreds of conversations with parents and DREs and confirmation and youth ministers and all that saying, we want to, you know, our children to, to discern their charisms. And I'm like, are you evangelizing your children? And they all look at me like, what? I'm like, well, here's a cup. Okay. It, it's a really important issue. And I know I'm, I'm talking to parents here. So this is a big deal. Can, can can children manifest charisms? Absolutely. We've seen children manifest them as early as three. Um, however, the issue is where are your where is your child in their lived relationship with God? And even small children, and I come, I'm not Catholic by background, I come from the evangelical world. And when I was growing up, it was normal for children to talk to each other about where they were in their lived relationship with God and whether they had accepted Jesus. And some kids did it as early as four or five. And, you know, I had my major childhood conversion at nine and we all thought it was normal. Um, I, Catholics often don't think of that as normal, but it is. And however it happens, it doesn't have to be dramatic or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it's after that point that, that the charisms will show up in your children as well. So the first issue is, is fostering that relationship with Christ, with Jesus Christ and their openness of their heart to him and their sense that he is calling them to at some level and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and then after that, the charisms tend to manifest. The other issue that's important for childhood discernment is life experience, however, because there's two basic points in life when the charisms manifest. One, when your faith becomes personal. And two, when you meet the person or situation that needs the gift. So you might actually have a charism that you don't know you have because you haven't yet met the person for whom it was intended. And so it didn't manifest. And then someday down the road, you do, and you go like, whoa. And you think, what was that? I, I've i never been in that situation before. And yet somehow I, I knew what to do. And then this thing happened. And what was that? Okay. Um, so that often happens. So one of the other things for children that's really important is giving them a broad experience of not a service, but not just service, just a broad experience of having, having a chance of being with other people in different situations where they can help or serve or relate to people. Um, because 
part of what restricts their discernment is their their narrowness of their relative narrowness of their experience. Um, there's no reason why they can't manifest as children. Now, of course, that means it's very crucial for parents to actually have done some of their discernment because if you've done your own discernment, then you will have charism ears and eyes that will enable you to kind of encourage and foster and then even begin to recognize, you know, charisms in your children when they start to manifest. Um, but it, it's that's why it's really important for parents to have gone through this process first. I remember after having been exposed to, you know, reading about the charisms and going through the training. And then as I was trying to, as I said, implement this or expose other people to it, to share it, because I had experienced a charism at work. I could see the, these things. And I was like, I want to share this with everybody. And I had all Catholics who were from faithful Catholic schools and young people. And there was a a hesitancy. And I think you've touched on some of those, whether it's, you know, the humbleness, I think, or the, or that where they were in the, their kind of lived relationship with, with our Lord, that I was kind of surprised. There was a lot of like, um, no, I'm not, I'm not even interested. I'm not, they almost seemed somewhat afraid of the idea that something beyond the normal, God might be calling them to be yeah, a, sure. and it seems like, I didn't know that that would be common, but it seems like that's fairly it, common. It can, it can be. Um, it depends that, you know, the Catholic church is real in the U S is huge. It's really huge. And it's really, it's got so many layers to it um, and places, different things going on. But for, for a lot of people, um, especially people who are cradle Catholics raised in the culture, often in some of the uh, traditional Catholic centers, like, parts of the Northeast or the Midwest, that kind of thing. Um, there can be just the sense that that's inappropriate. I'm an ordinary person. That's for priests and religious and saints and special people. And it's not for me. Um, there could be, I'm, I'm scared that God might ask something. I don't know that I don't want to do or, all those sorts of things. We have to address all this in the workshop. And when we, we do point out that, you know, God, God isn't just, um, he isn't handing these out at random. Okay. He sees you. He sees what he's created you for. One of the things, the sayings we start off with at the very beginning of the workshop now is John Henry Newman's famous uh, quote, God has determined that I should reach that, which will be my greatest happiness he looks on me individually. He calls me by my name. He knows what I can do, what I can best be, what is my greatest happiness, and he means to give it to me. God knows what is my greatest happiness, and he means to give it to me. These gifts and the, and the mission that goes with them, there's always a mission that goes with the charism. There's a call that goes with it are our shortest and surest path to our ultimate happiness here on earth and ultimately, of course, in eternity with the Lord. And they are the way we're going to help many other people reach their ultimate happiness. Um, so they're not arbitrary. He is not giving it to you as a lifelong penance. Um, he He's given the gifts that fit you and that will prepare you for the people he's going to send you to which whom you have may not have met yet i mean one of the things we have to 
always repeat is there is someone out there who is waiting for what you have been given to give. And it matters that you say yes, because in God's providence, you are the one. And yes, the person may not have been born yet, or you may not have met them yet. Maybe you won't do it until a year, five years down the road. I don't know. But you are being prepared now. And given the gift now, your discernment, that's why your discernment now matters because you're being prepared for people. You will not just who you more than just the ones, you know, now, but for people you may not run into for another five or 10 years in a very different part of the world in a very different situation than you are in now. And that, that gift will be ready and available to, you know, offer them. And so that's part of why discernment is so important. Um, the church actually teaches, if you look at the catechism, that um, all, all the fruit of our charisms belong to one another. So my fruit belongs to you and your fruit belongs to me. And um, that means all the, all the good redemptive things that God brings to pass through my obedience, through my prayer, through my discipleship, through my charisms, through my answering God's call. But that all belongs really to somebody else. They're for the sake of others. And, and so if I don't say yes, they will be impoverished because my charism is supposed to be the answer to their prayers. That's we don't, really put it into words and realize we are being prepared to be the answer to somebody else's prayers. And the same, but the same is true for me. If you don't discern, if you don't answer God's call to follow him, if you don't seek to uh, become a disciple of Jesus, to, to come into union with him, to uh, grow in his love and in union with him and answer his call, um, then I, my life is impoverished too, even if I never meet you, even if I don't even know you exist. In the body of Christ, we have, we're all connected in that way and we are strengthening the whole body or we're impoverishing it by our yes or our no. And uh, so there's all these other factors that go into this. I mean, it's, the charisms are hugely important for us as individuals in that there's, it's really interesting. You can't, it's funny. You can't use the charisms for your own to get what you want. Okay. Um, but indirectly, if you just give them away out of obedience, there's all these wonderful things that you get as well. Right. So that's, for instance, the typical, the kind of three signs of a charism. The, the first one is your experience of using a charism. And typically it's energizing and it's satisfying and it's joyful and it's like prayer or maybe like contemplation. You have a sense of the presence of God. People have different language for this stuff, but different stories, but, but it's, and that's at the moment you're using the gift in question. Okay. That's important. So it's at the moment you're actually teaching. If you have a charismatic teaching at the moment, you're actually encouraging or that you're actually making music or you're actually interceding for someone or you're whatever you're doing. Um, at that moment, what is it like? And even though we can't use them to get that, it's just this serendipity. It's this extra that comes along with it for us. But it's why I've never met anybody who burns out in the exercise of a charism. Right. Charisms are like the great remedy for burnout. And it's true no matter what your work is. Um, I, you know, If you're an overwhelmed mom at home with small children, 
It's true if you are a priest or religious. It's true if you've got a very demanding, any kind of very demanding job or responsibility, whether paid or unpaid. You know, to the extent that you can find a way to exercise your charisms in the context of that, it makes a huge difference um, in terms of energy level, in terms of uh, sense of meaning and purpose, and in terms, of course, of impact. The first time that I am aware was aware of a charism at work that I was participating in was I I kind of went in the reverse order of you know, well I wasn't trying to exercise it but I had been reading all of your things and I was supposed to speak to a group of people at a conference we were having and they're all part of our organization but um, every everybody if, there was a lot of change going on everybody was kind of unhappy and, and kind of grumbly and but I had been praying so hard just that I could be that instrument, whatever way it was. And I didn't know what that would look like, but in speaking to the people there for me, I certainly, there was this joy, this energy, but things just dramatically shifted. You could feel in the whole group at the time where everybody shifted from this crumbling to a joy that persisted throughout the rest of the the event and it was so because of your teachings i was like aware this is what's going on here so i was able to participate in some way and i took me it took me until i actually called back to have somebody uh one of your people help me discern that i could go through that and figure out what charism might have been at work and then see the other instances of it in my life but once i don't know once you experience that to me, it's like a taste of all of the all of the additional goodness that God wants to give you for other people. But it's so much fun. It's so it's so wonderful. You know, it is. It is, and that, what you're describing is exactly um, the goal. I mean, we're not promising you that you will know all your charisms by the time you know you're you're through the process. Um, a lot of people will know a lot more, but they I can't guarantee you know all of them, but um, but the point is, if we can give them one experience, just like what you described, uh, they say that one, that experience, that is what a charism is like to exercise one and to see its impact. Then you now have something to compare everything else with. And, uh, that's one of the big goals of the discernment process. So, yeah, that's great. I love what you said about that sustaining energy too. So when I've been when I've tried to help other people discern, like I'll run into teachers who just like they're teaching all the time and there's, they're pouring everything into it. And you think I would just be exhausted for this, but they, you see them interact and it's like something, something special is going on there when they're doing that. And, and they, yeah, they're able to sustain in a way that somebody without the charism just they're not supported in that same way, you know? Oh, no, it really is. And the other thing that's so fascinating, and this has really intrigued me for years because I was wondering what was going on. Um, other people sense the charism in you and will come and ask you for it, even if you don't know what it is. Even if you don't know you have it. And I really just had to come to the conclusion, the Holy Spirit literally leads them to you, inspires them to somehow in your presence you know if you have a charism of evangelism 
normally people who would never talk about God in your presence, it just seems normal and natural and, and compelling. And before you know it, you don't have to manipulate the conversation and force them, you know, into some kind of thing. It just kind of happens because in your presence, Hey, it just seems really natural. Um, or the woman who, who said, you know, she had encouragement, a charism of encouragement. And, um, and she said, you know, all my life total strangers just walk up to me and dump their whole life story on me. Like and I'm standing in line at the grocery store and they're, you know, I'm going to pay and they're telling me all this stuff. Um, she says, why me? Do I have talk to me written on my forehead or something? I'm like, yeah, basically you do, you know, and it's, it's just one of those mysteries, but it's part of, it's part of this, one of the signs you look for when you're actually discerning. Cause there's, as, as you know, since you've been through the process, there's three basic signs. And one of them is your experience. So it's energizing and satisfying and joyful and prayerful and all that at the moment you're doing it. The second one though, is what actually happens when you do it. Um, as we like to say, if you have a charism of healing, people get well, if they are worse off after you are done, it's a clue. Okay. I mean, it's, it's just that if people, if you have charisma teaching, people learn, um, you know, if you have a charism administration, things get organized. Uh, so it, these are real. Okay. You don't have to force it, but this happens. So, um, so there's that, the, what happens when you do it. And the third sign is the feedback you get from others. And part of the feedback is they vote with their feet and they come and ask you for the gift. You don't have to wear a sign that says, hi, my charism is, you know, my name is Sherry. My charisms are X. Um, you don't have to do anything like that because they'll, they just show up. It's really uh, pretty stunning actually how that works and uh, amazing to watch. Do you think that by presenting it in the manner that you do, that these are gifts you're given to give away to others? Does that help people who are who might otherwise be resistant or prone to thinking, oh, I'm supposed to be humble. That would be selfish for me to do this for myself. Yeah, we don't we don't run into that as much as we once did. Um partly I think the culture has changed and the culture now actually tells everyone they're supposed to be sort of living extraordinary lives and doing great things. And so um, so there's, it's, it sort of fits some of that cultural wind, but this is really something that's been talked about just in case people are concerned, this is a 2000 goes right back to the very beginning of the church. Um, I mean, St. Paul wrote about it, of course, in the new Testament, the, the apostles, uh, saw these charisms manifest and we have all the writings and all the church fathers who wrote about them extensively. And in St. Thomas Aquinas dealt with this extensively and it was debated at the second Vatican council. And it's in the catechism. If you want to go look up the word charism and it's in all the magisterial teaching. And actually I have a whole book where all these references are available for you. If you want to buy it through the, the Siena Institute, um, which I put together for myself um, uh, because because I wanted to make sure that it really was coming out of the tradition, but we're speaking right out of the heart of something that's been part of the tradition for 2,000 years and is very clearly articulated. Um, and so we don't have to worry that somehow this is new agey or new, I don't know, something that is somehow contrary to the church's teaching. Not at all. This is, we really are 
each of us it's it's the church i mean jp2 talked about this a lot you know that really the church um it was part of her, she had two parts of her mission. One was to help all the baptized discern their charisms and exercise them. And the other was to help all the, all the baptized discern and exercise their personal vocations. Because we all have, which is just a, a mission, a work of love to which I have been called that is going to change me and change the world around me. And the charisms are given to you for the sake of these vocations. And most of us have, everyone has at least one, but most of us have more than one. And I should add at this moment, just because you're a mom or a dad or married doesn't mean that's your only vocation. The church understands vocation in three ways. There's state of life. There's a universal call to holiness. That's a vocation all the baptized sharing. There's state of life, which would be marriage or single or priest or religious. And then, but in addition to those, there are personal individual vocations and most of us can have a combination. Like I could be, you could be Mother Teresa who suddenly realized she had what she called a vocation within a vocation. She was being called out of the original community she joined to start something else altogether. Um, or you could be a mom or a dad and have an additional vocation to, I don't, I don't know, you could be a teacher, you could be a, a doctor, you could, or an artist or who knows, you know, there's all those sorts of different ways. And they don't negate each other. They, they're intended to be uh, carried out, lived out in the whole of your life at the same together, you know, um, one doesn't, you don't sacrifice your family for that sort of thing. Um, but neither does being a mom or dad mean that you don't have any other calls in your life. Um, so that, yes, is it complex? Sure. At some points, at some points, will you have to set that aside because the family is, you know, the demands of your children or our child is sick or something's going on. Yes, of course, that may entirely be. A lot of us have been in that situation, but that doesn't mean the call goes away or that the charisms are removed. Um, people used to be so afraid they'd, um, they'd ask me, they said, well, it, would God just take it away from me? You know, if I didn't use it or something, and I, you know, and I just had to say, well, I know this is really scary for us because there's a part of us that, and I've run into this a lot with Catholics, somehow if I'm not suffering, it really isn't of God. It, or it's just like, or if I open myself to God, the first thing he's going to do is ask me to do the worst thing I can possibly think of. Just on principle, because if it hurts, it's good for me. Um, you know, I'm not, all of us will have to deal with suffering, but that's not quite how this works. Um, and so it's, you know, he intends, this is, these gifts are our shortest and surest path to our ultimate happiness. This whole journey is ultimately about our ultimate happiness. As my Dominican co-founder used to say, he said, ah, in St. Thomas, what makes me happy is the first moral question, because we were created for that. Okay. Now the question is how you get there. That's a whole thing. But these charisms are really important in that process. And, uh, so that's, and they're important for the whole church. They're important for the world. They're important for people who we don't know yet. And they're important for us too. Or people in our households. Yeah. Like us knowing our charisms that serves the people in our households, in our, whatever array of, you know, in our sphere of influence that serves them better. Right. Absolutely. In our relationships, any, our neighborhoods, our towns, 
our parishes, our dioceses, our apostolates, whatever they happen to be, all of that. Yeah, your charisms go with you everywhere. So you get to use them in the marketplace. You get to use them at home. You get to use them, you know, when you're out taking a walk. Um, they, they never desert you. And he isn't going to change his mind. You know, you go to bed, you're a happily married administrator and poof, he changes his mind in the middle of the night and you wake up and you're a celibate exorcist. No, that is not how this works. Okay. He's not messing with us. Um, so that's part of it. I think a lot for a lot of us, and I understand, I felt that way too. There was just this feeling, well, if I trust God, if I open this door, can I really trust God? Is this really something that I'm going to see as good? Or is this going to be like some kind of lifelong Lent here? Yes, a charism is something that you actually will experience as good. And the people around you will experience as good. Yeah. We're talking about parents and spouses and things. I was, I was thinking back to your quotation by uh, St. John Henry Cardinal Newman with that. I mean, of course, God is, and we always forget, oh, I always forget this at least, God's in complete control, moving things, designing things. It's all, it's all there for him. So we shouldn't, we should expect that he has anticipated whatever has happened in our situation and still has planned wonderful things for us going forward. But um, I do remember as well, the, uh, that idea that these things that you're doing for others, that aspect where it is energizing it's enjoyable it's freeing in a lot of ways when you focus on that and start to discern i think because i can realize that i have a duty to take care of the sick or the person who is wounded or like but i don't have to feel obliged to be mother teresa who was specifically called to that i mean clearly that that was her the charism she was using she was made for that and it's okay if i don't have that charism i still have responsibility but yeah. i'm free to find what's going to bring me the most joy in life by doing what god made me to do right so it's yeah it i mean there's disciplines all of us as disciples we have in life commitments we've made that we don't have, you know, we don't have all the charisms and we don't have, uh, I, I think to be a parent, you'd like to have all of them, really. Um, I'd love to have the charism of healing. So at 2 a.m. when the when they're getting, they're puking, you know, for the, it all night and you're just thinking, oh, I have to sleep. I have to go to work. I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, yes, I would love to have a charism of healing, but what if I don't? Okay. But I still have to get up and take care of my child. Not everybody has a charism of healing. Some people are supernatural, I mean, are giving. Some people are supernaturally empowered to be a just this incredible channel of God's provision for other people. But we don't, but on Sunday, when they pass the plate, we don't all say, well, George has the charism of healing. I mean, of giving. Um, so we're just all going to pass our plates to him and he'll do it for the rest of us. And we're off the hook. It, it's not like that. And yeah, Mother Teresa it's interesting because I've done a lot of work lately with the Missionaries of Charity Fathers. Um, so it's been really uh, a whole nother window on her world. And not that I understand it really at all, but still it's been very eye-opening for me. But she had this gift, one of the great stories I loved. Uh, it, this I, I saw this from two priests in New York and she was in New York receiving the vows for one for her brothers 
at some point. And, um, and there was a man who burst into the, I guess the church who he was a street street guy who everybody knew because he'd been around the neighborhood a long time. He blood was pouring down somehow he'd hurt himself or gotten hurt and blood was pouring down his face. He was screaming and everything. And everybody knew him and nobody could get touch him. You couldn't speak to him. You know, the, the therapists and the police and the social workers, and everybody had tried to intervene. A mother just went over and she put her hands on both sides of his face and she just looked at him and she talked to him very softly for a couple of minutes. He just calmed down. Then she and her sisters picked him up and carried him out to the sacristy where they let him sleep for a while. Um, while she received the vows of her brothers. And then she went back and she spent some time with him. Um, and to the two priests who observed this and wrote it up said, they said, we knew we were present at a miracle because we knew his history. None of us could somehow get through to him, could, you know, touch whatever that anguish was, but she could. Now, we, you're right. Very few of us would be able to do something like that. Um, it clearly God was working through her in this extraordinary, I mean, she had an extraordinary charism of mercy. People with the charism of mercy do things like that, but the rest of us still have to care. We still have to give, we have to sacrifice for the sake of others in need, but we just don't beat ourselves up because we're not mother Teresa. We don't have to feel guilty because we aren't mother Teresa. Um, you know, we can let her challenge us without, you know, feeling crushed that we know, you know, I, I got a family to support and I've got a job and I have responsibilities here and this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, yeah. But that's, uh, so we don't have to compare ourselves to each other. You know, cause my best friend gets, can do things I can't do. And I'm so jealous. Why, you know, why couldn't I have that charism and, or compare, um, you know, them, yeah, it's just at the heart of a lot of conflicts in the church um, is the charisms are often at the heart of some of the conflicts in the church, because if I have a charism in a certain area then I presume, I tend to presume everybody else has it. It's obvious. Everybody sees it should have the same priorities I do. And of course, if different charisms, they have different priorities and they see different things. And so you may end up at odds with each other. And I can still remember one conversation I was watching. I, uh, one man had a charism of pastoring. He was passionate about the Christian community. The other man had a charism of evangelism and he wanted to go out. So he was saying, we've got to go out and share the gospel with people. And the man with the, with the pastoral charism said, but we have to take care of the needs of the Christian community first. And, you know, until that's dealt with, we can't go out. And they were just like this. You know, they were bumping heads. And, but when they started to realize these were charism driven, they were both reflecting real charisms that they had been given by God. Um, and they were both right. Um, but they weren't at odds with each other. Yeah. Once they understood that, then a lot of the tension went away. I think it was either in your training or one of, or your book, you, you were talking about like two music directors, I remember, who both yeah. had the charism of music, but one also had a charism of like evangelization and the other had the charism of mercy or something. And so they yeah. just butting heads all the time. Yeah. But once they understood, then all of a sudden you go, oh, okay. So you're not 
willfully blind. You're not obtuse. You're not stupid. You're just seeing something else because you've been given something else to see. Oh, okay. Okay, I can live with that. You know? Bringing them together accomplishes far more. Yeah. All of us understanding our charisms as the people we are, not necessarily, uh, not the roles we are playing right now. That makes so much sense. And I can see how that would help us be better at the circumstances where we are right now. And then what mm -hmm. comes after that and what leads on from there. And for a lot of people, as your children get older, as they leave the house um, and you have more free time, especially for women, often it's a time it, or what you're facing retirement or your any number of things. You're changing career in midstream. There's all kinds of reasons. This is a really great thing to, you know, to have so that to help sort of remember that to the extent that you can organize your life around where you're called and gifted around God's call. Okay. And that doesn't mean you have to work full time in a career that uses that. You don't have to have that sort of thing necessarily, but you need to make space for it as a discipline, as a spiritual discipline. For many of us, it is a major form of prayer. For a lot of us, if we don't have room to exercise our charisms, it will literally undermine our spiritual lives, our relationship with God. If to Because when you exercise them and you see God at work, that so strengthens your confidence in God, your, your gratitude to God, your awareness of his presence, his love, his mercy, um, you know, your ability to witness to Christ, because that, you know, makes you, you are so much more encouraged and confident in God when you share about your faith. Um, so it's just, and it's for your whole life and it's for your children. It's for your grandchildren. It's for your friends, your family, your neighborhood, your fellow parishioners, uh, strangers that you've just run into on a plane, who knows, you know, um, but it's for your whole life. I'm so grateful for the, the things that you've done there at the Catherine of Siena Institute. I mean, as I'm thinking of our listeners and just a lot of them are, are already on their journeys, but like, I know, like we talked about that seeing where, what is my lived relationship with our Lord to ask that question, which is uncomfortable for us, but you know, I remember doing your Ananias training there um, to kind of explore that or uh, intentional, making intentional disciples, you know, doing that. And then to see, well, how am I being called, you know, with, with the called and gifted and to really explore that. And it's just it, this, it's a different world that, um, that for, for you and like you're saying, for you and for everybody around you, that things will change dramatically if you, if you try to grow closer to our Lord and then be his instrument, be whatever, whatever it is that he's called you to be in the, in the world. And yeah, it's, it's a very different world when, when that happens.
And so it's, yeah, it's, it's a gift for you. It's a gift for everyone around you. Um, and it brings joy to God. When we say yes to him, it brings glory to him. Um, when people see what God does. Beautiful. Like we, we might have that willingness, like I want to do what God wants me to do. I have no idea where to start, or I have no idea which way to do that. If you are interested in starting, I will tell you, uh, we have it online. Go to our website. This is the Catherine of Siena Institute. It's Catherine with a C and Siena with one N. So it's the Catherine of Siena Institute, um, which is just www.siena.org. And you go on, you can look at Called and Gifted there. It tells you all the different things we do, but go to Called and Gifted. And if you want to, you could sign up right there and then and start watch going through you know, the, the videos and take the inventory and all of that, you know, and begin your discernment process. Or, you know, ideally it'd be really great. We are, we're forming teams all over the country and in other countries to facilitate this on the ground, usually at the parish level. So you could be part of a, a whole community, a Christian community that are going through this discernment process and you're sharing each other's stories and discernment processes as you go along. That's ideally what, you know, that was, it is what it's designed to do but not everybody has that option, I know. So as I said, it's available in English and Spanish. I'll be sure to have that in our show notes. Maybe there are some folks who will do it on their own and some others who will get it organized for their parishes, hopefully some of both. Oh, but there is a book I wrote on the subject. I just thought of it, Fruitful Discipleship, which is basically, it's not the same as taking the workshop. There's no inventory in it and you can't do it, but it is the backdrop. It's so the theology and the history and, uh, you know, some like some of the basic in background information that we don't cover in the workshop is all in that book. So it's fruitful discipleship. Um, then the book that most people have read or have heard of is called Forming Intentional Disciples. The um, and Forming Intentional Disciples uh, also has a lot. It was the first book that came out and has. It's mostly about the journey to discipleship, but there's a lot of stuff in, about charisms in there, of course. Um, because they're so linked. So, yeah. But you may have missed it. You, you looked aside, but I was, I was, uh, none of our listeners can see them, but, uh, but they're always close by, Sherry. You have anticipated everything, Steve. Great. Thank you. <laughs> we run a very large, very active Facebook group called Forming Intentional Disciples Forum. And there's over 12,000 of us on there from all over the wow. world. Um, and this is all we talk about. So, um, yeah, if anybody's interested, they are most welcome to go. If you're on Facebook, search for Forming Intentional Disciples Forum and just say, I want to join. And one of their friendly administrators will let you in. Well, this has been just wonderful. Our show notes will have links to the Catherine of Siena Institute's website, the books that you mentioned, and some Colby Cast episodes that relate to our conversation today, among other things. Sherry, thank you so much for spending this time with us and sharing your gifts in this way and encouraging us to do the same. Yeah, well, it was fun. Subscribe to the Colby Cast on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode. And let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating or a review. And as always, feel free to email us at podcast at colby.org. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.